Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. able, if uh, you're comfortable, I want to encourage you, just stretch out your hands. It's a posture of receiving, really simple, and just say with me this evening, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We welcome God in this place. He's already here, but we welcome him in our hearts, in our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, there are, there are always times when the gift we get is not the gift that we want, right? Like, if you were here on Mother's Day, you would have seen Jenny share the special gift of her toast sponge. That this is a real gift that, that Noah, our youngest son, bought her. She asked for Ugg boots. He got her a toast sponge. And yes, I go to the Ugg boots because I ain't been married for this long without learning some things along the way. <laughs> Last year for Christmas, I asked for AirPods. I got nothing. And then we went out to my parents and I still got nothing. And then like sneaky right at the end of the evening, Jenny was like, all right, here's your AirPods. And she had them wrapped and she was just kind of being a jerk and hidden them all day from me. <laughs> so well played, Jenny, well played. <laughs> then there are other celebrations when you actually do get the gift you want and it ends up backfiring big time. Like when Noah, my youngest, <laughs> the one who gave the toast sponge, was like, I want three packets of Skittles for Christmas. And we're like, well, that's cheap, done. And so we got him three packets of Skittles. And within a week, the Skittles were gone and his brother and sister were playing with their toys. And he's like, well, well you know, he just played with his other toys, obviously. But there was grief in the He's like, hmm, perhaps I should have asked for more Skittles. <laughs> but there are other times when the gift we get is what we truly want, not what we ask for. So a couple of Mother's Days ago, a few years ago, I got Jenny a toolbox. You should have seen the look on her face. My wife does not try and hide disappointment when it's there. She will just express it to you clearly so that you know that you've let her down. <laughs> but a couple of weeks later, as she got her mindset on another new project in the home, and yes, that's how it works in the wardrobe household, Jenny gets her mindsets and projects on the home, and I go and read a book. She realised, thanks Min, I received that, she, she realised that actually this was a great gift. She had her own toolbox, no rummaging around for whatever stuff I may or may not have, and if I do have, certainly would have misplaced it or lost it. Instead, she could start any project that took her fancy with the materials she had on her, and so she sheepishly came back a couple of weeks later and was like, that was, um, that was actually a really good gift. Like, <laughs> and so I said to her, well... I know. <laughs> and it was this beautiful, rare example of when people give you a gift that you do not want but should have asked for. That's what happens at Pentecost. A gift comes that we didn't ask for, but we absolutely should want. And that's part of what we hear in the, in the teaching text today. Now, Pentecost is my personal favourite day in the Christian calendar. It's not the most important. Relax with your theology. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important. But Pentecost is my favourite because it's all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's about empowerment. 
It's the true beginning of the church. Everything we have today, this unity, exactly like Peter said, these people who miraculously hear the message of God in their own language and they come together. What a joy. That's what happens at Pentecost. It's the fulfilment of what's said by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, that your sons and daughters will prophesy, which is giving messages from God. But it's not the only time God has done this. The Holy Spirit was present in creation, the Spirit of God hovering over the deep. He came upon different people in the Old Testament at different times for different tasks. E.g., he comes upon Gideon for leadership and Samson for strength and power. God promises the Spirit to be given to the people of God through Old Testament prophecies, particularly in Ezekiel and in Joel. Then many around Jesus' birth are filled with the Spirit, including Jesus himself, who was then anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, before finally we come along to Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit in full at Pentecost as he poured out. And it's one of these events, one of these precursors to Acts that we look at today in the book of Numbers. Now, in this part of the Bible, the frequently loved and read book of Numbers, I like it personally, but I like Numbers. Moses is slowly leading God's people towards the promised land of Canaan. Now, this is 40 years of conflict, faithlessness and frustration that should have taken closer to 40 days, but it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of Israel. And in this passage, we feel the tension of Moses trying to lead his people. So I'm going to give you your vitamins today, church. We're going to read out an entire chapter of the Old Testament together, and it's going to be fun, well, good at least, and, uh, and we'll see how we go, all right? All right, as we get back to the beginning of this picture, Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, we hear a very common refrain from the Old Testament, the Israelites are whinging. This happens a lot. And it doesn't go heats well for them. And the first verse of chapter 11 hits deeply. Now the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. Yep, okay. When the Lord heard, his anger blazed. I'm just reading straight from Numbers verses one and two now. And and his anger burned and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was named Tabara because the Lord's fire had blazed among them. So God has recently rescued their entire nation from slavery in a miraculous way and responds to this complaining by trying to teach Israel a lesson. Fire breaks out near the Israelites and they panic, but nobody is hurt. And so they respond by going, oh, oh, God has blazed here. And and they do what they do, which is they name the place based on the event which is in an effort to go, God met us here, and this is for future generations to understand and learn from. So they call it tabara, which means blaze, because God's fire blazed among them. <sighs> Crisis averted. God teaches Israel a valuable lesson. Nobody's hurt, and they moved on and never complain again. Right? <laughs> verse four, that's the next verse. The riffraff among them. Yes, the Bible calls people riffraff. I love this book. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, which is a very specific list of open fruits and vegetables they were interested in. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Now, this foolish fringe among them not only crave other foods that then God is providing, they obviously have enough sway to convince some other people who are like, yeah, yeah, we, do, we are sick of manna. 
And so you listen to their complaint, and the first thing you should think is, this is stupid. The free fish? You were slaves. Nothing is free in slavery. You work all day, they don't give you money, and then when they supply you with some food, you're like, oh, I love this free fish. What free fish? That wasn't free. But in their moment of hardship, they forget God's provision and they only see what they do not have, not what they do. Let's look at what they do have because the manna, verse seven, resembled coriander seed and its appearance was like that of bdellium. The people walked around and gathered it. They ground it on a pair of grinding stones or crushed it in a mortar, then boiled it in a cooking pot and shaped it into cakes. It tasted like a pastry cooked with the finest oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. This is a picture of crostoli. This is a typical, yes, that's the correct response. A typical Italian dish of fine pastry cooked in fine oil. This is what the Israelites were complaining about. Now I get that they ate it every day and I know myself, I would have complained also. I just, I know myself deeply. But don't come at me with, I've got too many Marathi's cakes. Oh no. Oh, the cheesecake shop was overstocked this week. Oh, mm. this is what we're hearing here. So Moses heard the people, verse 10, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents because of, yeah. The Lord was very angry. Moses was also provoked. So Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you angry with me? And why do you burden me with all these people? Bold choice by Moses, pushing the blame up the leadership chain to God and saying, God, this is your fault. Bold choice by Moses. Verse 12, did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth so you should tell me, carry them at your breast as a nursing mother carries a baby, which is like saying they're all behaving like a bunch of babies. To the land that you swore to give their ancestors, where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping to me, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. They're too much for me. If you're gonna treat me like this, please kill me right now if I found favour with you. And don't let me see my misery anymore. And I just imagine God going, oh my gosh, so dramatic. (laughs) But this is one of the great battles of leadership. How do we respond when the people we are leading are complaining? I mean, not in Enfield or Encounter, of course, Diane, but other places. (laughs) Moses responds by pushing his anger back up the leadership chain, okay. And he compares favour with God to killing him so he doesn't have to deal with complaining. I know that feeling, but that's still very dramatic. (laughs) But God responds in a way Moses does not expect. Verse 16, the Lord answered Moses, bring me 70 men from Israel known to you as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there. I will take some of the spirit who is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you bear the burden of the people so that you do not have to bear it yourself. So God begins his response by giving Moses two things he needs. The first is leaders who will help him bear the weight of leading his people. Nobody truly leads alone. If you think you're bearing it all by yourself, then what you'll find is that people around you who you love and are supporting you in a thousand different ways, they are bearing the weight of of you. Nobody ever truly leads alone. But it's the second gift that is more important. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and place it on them. The Holy Spirit will be placed not just on you, Moses, my chosen person, but on them because Israel is my people, not just my person. 
And these will be leaders who are not just appointed, but anointed. Leaders who are not just chosen, but blessed. This is a separation, a consecration, a preparation of leadership, which involves the blessing of God being received. It is a precursor to what happens at Pentecost. And Moses and the Israelites have zero frame of reference for this. This has never happened in their lifetime or in their understanding. God is going to come and physically dwell on a whole bunch of individual people. Is that even possible for God to live in us? God continues, tell the people, Consecrate yourselves, that is, make yourself holy and prepared in readiness for tomorrow. And you will eat meat because you wept in the Lord's hearing, who will feed us meat? We were better off in Egypt. Yes, I read it as whingy in Moses' voice and not in God's voice because, you know, I'm respectful of God in that way. God then reveals the hard part of this bargain. The Lord will give you meat and you will eat. Verse 19. You will eat not for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes nauseating to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before him. Why did we ever leave Egypt? We just need to catch that idea. The Lord's great anger here is not specifically at the Israelites. It's at this idea that they said, slavery without you is better than freedom with you. He's trying to help Moses and Israel see what they should long for. They long for meat. They should long for God's holy presence. Meat fills them for a day. The Spirit sustains them in every situation they need. I can eat meat today. I'm going to need it again tomorrow, probably later on in the same day. But if the Spirit dwells within me, I have my source of guidance every day, Everywhere, which way that comes, regardless of whether I have meat or not, I have the presence of God in each and every situation. And that sustains me in a way that food that can, can never do. You with me, church? There are times, all times, when the Spirit can sustain you. God can sustain you in ways that food cannot do on its own. So this is what Moses replies in verse 21. I'm in the middle of a people with 600,000 foot soldiers. Yet you say, I'll give them meat and they'll eat for a month. If flocks and herds were slaughtered for them, would they have enough? If all of the fish in the sea were caught for them, would they have enough? I don't think Moses had a great concept of the, the scale of the ocean, but that's fine. <laughs> the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm weak? That's how I imagine God doing it. Now you will see whether or not what I promised will happen to you. Moses challenges whether God can do this again. It is a miracle he's not dead. A friend of mine once said to me, oh, Mike, if you weren't so funny, nobody would like you. She's Irish, and I think the mocking of her accent might have been what prompted that comment. But I, I deeply understand what Moses was feeling this, and it's amazing. I think God felt that way about Moses. If the others weren't such total spuds, you'd be gone by now, mate. You're very, very free and easy with the way you're speaking. But God is also full of grace and love. He loves Moses. He's listening to Moses. And more importantly... God offers his spirit and Moses still just wants to know about the meat. Forget your blessings, God. What about the gifts I want? That's the problem. That is the thing God wants to draw your attention to here, church. We are constantly walking around looking for gifts that we don't need, but we think we do. While God is over here going, can I have your attention? 
I have what you need. I have all of what you need. The fullness of life dwelling within me, ready for you to have in you. But you are still getting so self-anesthetised and inoculated by Netflix and Uber Eats and lying back because it's easier than stepping into the way of Jesus led by the Holy Spirit. Do we want to live by the meat of slavery or the freedom of the Spirit? Because what we want, is not usually what we need. John Mark Keimer puts it this way, our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. Just because they're strong in a moment doesn't mean they're good. We tend to want what is easy rather than what is good. Now, I know I gave some really sort of obvious lazy examples there, but it is also easier for me in a workday to deal with my emails or to read a Christian book that is important to my work rather than writing a sermon or dealing with complicated pastoral issues. Sometimes the easy route is more complicated than we think. The same is true for your life. The tension between what we want and what God gives. God knows what we need and He wants to give it to us. He does give it to us. Moses wants not to deal with Israel. Simple, understandable, lazy. God gives shared leadership under Moses' direction, empowered by the Holy Spirit, far more than he ever could have dreamed of. Israel wants the comforts of slavery in Egypt without the burden of slavery in Egypt. Would you just feed me? But like a variety of things. God gives the true freedom of the Holy Spirit, leading them to a physical and spiritual promised land. We fall back into old patterns in our lives whenever we're under threat. It's sort of fight, flight, freeze stuff. We fall back into our default old patterns. If I'm under threat in some way, if I perceive a threat, you watch how quickly a full family-sized bag of apricot delights gets opened and devoured. Not many people in my family like apricot delights. That's problematic for me. But the Holy Spirit is poured out on us so that we might know God, obey God, and find freedom in God. That's why God is full of grace. He loves his people in spite of his people. And so he gives them both what they need and what they want. Verse 24, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. He brought 70 men from the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to him. He took some of the spirit who was on Moses and placed the spirit on the elders. And as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they never did it again. Two men had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad. The Spirit rested on them that were among those listed, the 70 listed, but had not gone out to the tent and they prophesied in the camp. This is a mini Pentecost, a spiritual awakening. Leaders are chosen, God descends on them. And do you notice that what He does is not limited to where that leader is standing? They're chosen by God to have His Spirit poured out on them, so they receive the Spirit of God poured out on them. Even though in disobedience and laziness, we're encouraged to believe they have remained in the camp, not come out to the tent of meeting with Moses. God's Spirit pours out freely on the 70 and they prophesy. They speak forth the truth of God. They bring things hidden into light. They reveal what has been in darkness. They take the future and present it to the present. These are all the avenues of prophecy. And it happens at the tent of God and in the tents of Israel. It happens everywhere. And so a young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, assistant to Moses, since his youth, responded, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses asked him, are you jealous on my account? If only all the Lord's people were prophets. And the Lord would place his spirit on them. 
This entire experience, church, is so out of the frame of reference of Israel that they just don't know what to do. Joshua gets stressed out. Oh, they're prophesying in the wrong place. Are they allowed to do that? You can just see him and he's kind of Moses 2IC. He's probably the guy that gets all the details and Moses is just off on the mountain looking into the distance. So you can imagine how stressed he might be getting as all these things are happening that he's totally out of control. And this is our temptation with the Holy Spirit. We can't control what happens. We cannot control what the Spirit does. We can discern if it is of the Holy Spirit by knowing our Bible well, but we cannot control what the Spirit does. And that's the whole issue. The Israelites are out of control in the desert. When they were in slavery, they had control. They had no power, but they had control. They knew that they would get up in the morning work like dogs to build bricks for the Egyptian overseers, that they would have little to nothing for themselves and that their families would grow up in indentured slavery. But they knew what they would eat at night and where they would sleep. And so they chose comfortable slavery over liberation, but with difficulty. They struggled to trust their futures to God. And some of us here would rather live in the certain knowledge of spiritual slavery rather than the uncontrolled freedom that comes when God's spirit falls. Moses, luckily, is wise beyond Joshua. No, he says, I wish everyone had God's spirit on them. I wish everyone had the gift of prophecy. I wish everyone knew what God is trying to bless them with. And it sounds like Moses has finally understood what God is trying to teach his people after having problems with it earlier in the chapter, but Israel hasn't. So the story sadly doesn't end here. Verse 30, then Moses returned to the camp along with the elders of Israel. A wind sent by the Lord came up and blew quail in from the sea. It dropped them all around the camp. They were flying three feet off the ground for about a day's journey in every direction. The people were up all that day and night and all the next day gathering the quail. The one who took the least gathered 50 bushels and they spread them out all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the Lord's anger burned against the people. And the Lord struck them with a very severe plague. So they named that place Kibroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had craved the meat. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people moved on to Hazaroth and remained there. The Israelites craved the meat of slavery more than the bread of life and freedom. And it cost them. The cost of slavery to sin and flesh has always been death. And the benefit of the spirit has always been life. 180 kilograms each of bird meat, and it leads to death. The Hebrew word kibroth hatava means slaves to craving. As we heard earlier, the Israelites named places because their encounters with God and in the hope that they would speak wisdom to future generations. Now, I know this is a combined service, but the point of naming our church encounter was that we would hunger not for the meat of slavery in our lives, but for the freedom of the Spirit of God that we would be seeking an encounter with God again and again and again, not just for the sake of it, but because the presence of God liberates us from our stupid, harmful desires. Or to make this a little less aggressive, the Spirit of God liberates me from my stupid, harmful desires, and I have a hunch it might do the same for you. Not all of our desires are harmful, friends, but God is trying to show us how much more is in life. Now, I call it KFC syndrome. KFC smells good, like quails probably did, but you know, a few less bones. But 10 minutes after you eat it, the regret kicks in and lives in your stomach rent-free. 
and we often stumble over towards comfort food. Why? Because it's easier for a moment. For a moment, it comforts us. We feel good, but ultimately it's terrible for us. We know it's a bad choice, but we eat it because it comforts us and we think it is best for us in the moment. What if God could possibly understand this in a way that we don't? What if He might have a little bit more understanding than we do that through His wise laws and advice, He's trying to shield us from things that would harm us and is leading us to a truly better life through His Holy Spirit? What if God knows that our default is to live safe and lazy when He wants us to live bold and empowered? What if God, what God wants and what you want are actually, truly, at the centre of it all, the absolute same thing? Ben, you guys can come back up. That's the power of Pentecost. And here's the thing, friends. Verse 30 has come true. All the Lord's people have the Spirit of God placed on them now. All the Lord's people have spiritual gifts to share. If you are here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, God's presence is in you, blessing you, blessing others through you. The question is not, do you have God's Spirit? The question is, what will you do with it? What are you meant to do to steward your Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is not just given to you for you, but for others. That's why I'm looking forward to doing growth track with people next week. As people go, how can I use my gifts and graces to serve the church that I call home? And if you're at Enfield, I want to encourage you. How are you sharing? How are you using your gifts and graces to bless the people of Enfield? Because they are less without you sharing and you blessing them with your gifts and graces. If you believe in Jesus, then that gift of the Holy Spirit is yours. We fall back into old patterns of unbelief patterns that we think are safer, but they are actually slavery for our spirits. And if you take a moment, you will be able to find patterns in your life that when things get tough, you fall back into because they feel comfortable at the time. Um, Friday night, I was going to camp with my boys and I had what seemed to be a perfectly functional air mattress and spoilers, it wasn't. (laughs) And so I woke up in something that is ostensibly comfortable, right? Like I'm surrounded by, um, like no longer on, but now surrounded by comfy air. But where am I actually lying? Flat on my back on the ground. It seems all right from a distance maybe, but actually you're doing yourself a damage. That's the lie of slavery. That's the lie of saying, I wanna choose what is easy, not what is best. I wanna choose what what my flesh right in this moment is setting upon rather than what God's Spirit is leading me towards. Freedom is harder than slavery, but gee, it's better. Gee, it's better. The Holy Spirit, friends, has come to give us a factory reset, which is death to an old way of life and a new pattern of living, which is resurrection into a new life following the way of Jesus. When the prophet Joel predicted the coming of Pentecost, he famously said, your old men will have dreams and your young men will have visions. So if you're younger here today, let me tell you, through the Holy Spirit, there is no junior Holy Spirit. It doesn't exist. You're empowered with the same God 
that anyone else in this room is. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, in your school, in your workplace, in your university, uh, with your family, with your friends, you are empowered by the same God who resurrected Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit from the dead. That same power lives in you, which means your school, your church, your family, your environments need you living out of that overflow to bless them and see the Kingdom of God break in. What God needs in this world will not happen unless young people will see visions about what can happen and will live it out now, not later, now. Your time is not later, it is now, right now. Be blessed, not because I say sorry, but because God's Spirit is blessing you. And if you're older here today, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, keep dreaming. Not in the way we say it in Australia, keep dreaming, but in the way that only He can, you are not finished. There is no spiritual retirement. There's no junior Holy Spirit and there's no superannuation from the Holy Spirit. You are anointed, appointed and blessed by God. If you are over, this might be confronting. If you're 50 and over, your time is in mentoring. Your time, like obviously if you're 50 and over, plenty of you are like, I'm in better shape than you are, Mike. Like, absolutely, no arguments here. But the point is not about that. The point is you are in a stage right now where your gifts and graces need to be used to mentor and bring up the next generation. You are, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you, may, you see things in a different way. You are able to get alongside young parents who are in that first five years of your life, there's a lot of them at our church who are going, I am exhausted to the point of insanity and you can just come alongside them and bless them and pray for them and say it gets better. You can come along and pray for them daily. You can read Scriptures over their lives. You can lead them towards what it looks like to be a mature, faith-filled, spirit-filled older person in the church. This is why God blesses unity because we need young people to have visions and old people to have dreams so that we all do this together in the family of God for one another. This is what needs to happen. Older people, your time was not then, it is now. It is now, right now. Your time has not passed. I think that's a word for somebody today. Your time has not passed, your time is now. Will it look different to what it did? Probably, probably. But I've never known a moment where prayer can't be involved in your life more heavily than it was. I'll just put that there. Because church, the future belongs to the Pentecostals, young and old. Not as a denomination, but as the people of God inspired by and filled with the Holy Spirit. The future belongs to those that embrace what happened at Pentecost and live out of that. We need to say, Lord, make me a prophet like your servant Moses. Lord, transform my desires so they're like yours. I really am finishing now, but I just felt so excited as, as God put this on my spirit today. Just to say, Pentecost is a time when your old ways and your old lives and old demands, the demands of your flesh, are flooded away by the violent outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, violent, look it up, Acts chapter two. The violent rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. All of that is washed away. God promised never to bring a flood again to destroy humanity. Instead, He brought a flood that fueled humanity and lifted them up. And this isn't a metaphor, church. It's a spiritual awakening. Wake up. 
We need to wake up because God is longing to move in us. And if we're too comfortable, we cannot do it. We can't move if we won't move. We can't lift if we won't be lifted. If we won't open our hands to receive the Spirit of God, we cannot move in the Spirit of God. God wants to pour His Spirit out on us because our entire world is desperate, hungry, broken, lonely, needing the Spirit of God to pour out on them. Friends, the future belongs to you, the children of Pentecost, so that you can bless them, the world that needs it. God's fire is blazing among us. What do you want to see in your nation, your world, your family, your lives? What's your deepest prayer? God in His fullness is here. He's longing to pour Himself out on you. I want to encourage you, if you're able, would you stand with me as we continue in worship?